0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello. It's the moment that no one's been waiting for. It's only fools and brotherly forces doing time on our hands. As always, your two hosts, me, Jamie, and my brother, who always joins me, Bobby. Good evening, Bobby. How are you doing? <laughs>
1: uh, I am very well, mate. How are you? That was new. You. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to mix things up a little bit this week, I think. It's uh, it's a very special week, absolutely is. We've been looking forward to it for a long time, the anticipation has been building, and now it's finally here, it is, it's home on our hands.
0: We've uh, done a couple of different things, so it is a Friday night, we've cleared our schedule to uh, have a couple of drinks and really soak up this uh, this moment. Ooh. I can reliably inform you that Bobby is already double parked. (laughs) (laughs) So I've had my uh,
1: cheeky cocktail to start me off, and now it's time for half a lager.
0: Nice. Um, Yeah, so it's been building up to this moment. Uh, We are dubbing this episode the false finale for reasons that I'm pretty sure everyone can get on board with. There are three more episodes after this, but this always felt like that perfect end and this is uh this feels like the end of the era here so although there is more Only and Brotherly Forces to come this is the, the celebration.
1: Yeah I think the false finale is a perfect name I think this is where we're going to get all that kind of stuff out in, in I think the same way the show does like this is the this uh, the show has this as it's kind of big romantic ending and yeah there are more episodes but I don't recall them Ending with such a sort of a, a flourish, as no, it were.
0: Not as much gravitas. No,
1: so th- this is our flourish episode. We're going to try and get, I say we, I, I obviously will have nothing to do with this, but you said you were going to do minimal editing on this episode, trying to keep it fresh.
0: Yeah, we're going to try and keep it a little bit, but Dylan Skinner unplanned and uh, keep it a bit uncut. Going to be potentially a little bit longer. We might go on some fairly tedious tangents but uh we'll we'll see what happens so other things that we did a bit different uh we watched this at precisely the same time just uh just you know for the feels it's a bit of a feels episode so uh we (laughs) we sort of exchanged a couple of messages while watching it to be honest not we didn't really have any advantage from it apart from just at the end going oh that was great
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a completely pointless exercise. Really, we even sort of texting each other as we were pausing for five seconds, just as we were like maybe writing a note. But the entire thing was completely, completely pointless. But we can say we tried.
0: <laughs> so one of the things that we are going to do, as I said, we've we've got a couple of drinks in tow, and we're certainly going to be getting just a little bit loose. Not going to go crazy, but uh, you know, lose some inhibitions. We thought we'd do a little bit of only fools and brotherly forces bingo so if you do fancy listening to this on a on a non-school night and having a couple of drinks with us you can play along i think listening back to our series there's a few things that we might have said fairly repetitively or come up fairly often so certainly there's some some good fodder for drinking there so the uh the different points for drinks is going to be mentions of of the dearest smother rich friend of the podcast uh Norway, obviously. I'm sure that one's gonna come up a couple of times. Probably. But we did say any country, um, which seemed a bit broad, but anything that involves me talking about travelling in any way.
1: I think that's fair. That that might be the one that comes up the most. <laughs>
0: Don't think it ever really comes up, but I'll take
1: it as fun. I, I, I do recall I wish I could have found the message but I couldn't. But we definitely got a, a Facebook message or an email once from someone like making a slightly like schneid dig at the fact that uh you, you mentioned that you've been to many exotic places many times and uh, we really appreciate that. So I'm sorry we can't name drop you, but we enjoyed it and it's the uh the inspiration partly for this this particular
0: part of the bingo. There's a chance that all this falls by the wayside and, and we, we lose track of it but we're going to give it a go just an, as an excuse to have a few more drinks. The other things will be the brewery, so Bobby, where Bobby's working. Uh, claim some sort of most notable character moment, which we do quite often like that's the worst thing Dale's ever done or the stupidest thing that Trigger ever says. Yeah, even
1: though we've said it about five times for each character we always claim it's the most in this particular moment. We don't have exactly great Recall on these things. None of us have taken lists of any kind. So yeah, we, we've we've given several people the most moment many times.
0: There is an argument to say that they've always got worse, and therefore we would never be correct. But probably isn't true.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not true. Let's not let's not kid ourselves.
0: Also, for quite a, a only fools line specifically ourselves, or if we mention another British comedy series which we also love which comes up quite a lot. So feel free to drink along, not if you're driving or on your way to work. That is ill-advised. But uh, if you fancied it on a Friday, Saturday night, then, uh, you know, get drunk with us. Have some fun. So for
1: anyone wondering, um, this isn't, of course, going to be the last episode we do. We are going to do the the reprise, as we so dubbed it. And after that, we have definitely officially decided we are going to do Rock and Chips, the prequel. Um, So we're looking forward to that and then we'll probably slip in some kind of a a special summary episode or uh a look back through
0: the through the podcast
1: yeah so something like that there'll be one sort of final episode where we talk about things in a whole maybe we rate and rank some things who knows but we'll, we'll have some fun there so um that'll be a good opportunity for anyone to to send in any any messages any notes any highlights themselves we'll definitely try to put together a few A few best bits. Um, So yeah, get in touch. That'll be the the kind of the last big shout out. That will really be the end. So we've got maybe six or seven weeks more. So we're not quite done yet. But uh, the the end is nigh. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, we are certainly staring down the barrel. But before that, we have got this monster to be getting through. So a little bit of trivia on this episode. Not a huge amount. But uh, as most do know, this was a huge episode for viewings. It was viewed by 24.3 million viewers, which was nearly half of the population of the country at the time and uh, obviously was the highest viewing recorded ever for a comedy series in the UK and it still remains uh, the most recent episode of any programme to have been watched by more than 22 million viewers. That's a hell of a stat.
1: It is mental. I did double check the, the population at the time uh, the year this came out. It was fifty eight million. So it's that really is I uh, huge. It's uh it's it's crazy. This is what everyone did, pretty much. <laughs> you know. Like, bear in mind there's gonna be a good percentage of people who just aren't watching T V. Like if anyone watched T V, this is what they watched. And it was the twenty the twenty ninth of December, right? Yeah. So it was it's one it's one of those weird Days in between Christmas and New Year, where no one really knows what to do. It's not even like it's Christmas Day or or Christmas Eve or something. It's it's a bit of a nothing day. Mm. So yeah, I guess everyone just sat around all day
0: waiting for it. You know. Yeah, as as, as I said on one of the episodes, we were obviously around by this time, or well around, and I don't know if we uh, if we watched it at the time. Should have checked in with the uh, the smother oh, drink Ooh, drink. <laughs>
1: I mean we definitely did. I I mean I I'm certain we watched it but I don't I don't really recall watching it for the first time. But there is no way in hell that we were one of the you know, thirty percent of the population who didn't watch this live in nineteen ninety six. Is that right?
0: Yeah, sure. This might not work, but I'm gonna see it. but I'm gonna see in case it does might work. I'm gonna see if it does work. <laughs> no. hello hello smother how are you doing
2: yeah all right thank you
0: you're uh you're live on the only fools and brotherly forces podcast <laughs> why do
2: you mean live <laughs> it's,
0: it's, well it's a good point you, that is a very good point yeah you, <laughs> you're not you're not live um but we are recording and uh i've currently got you held up to the microphone while I just ask you a question just in case you were going to drop any clangers. oh okay <laughs> I just wondered you know the last Time in Our Hands Heroes and Villains and Modern Man that that trilogy came out in 1926 did you watch it slash did we watch it when it came out
2: yes
0: yeah yes 100% do you remember it well yes you're not going to question <laughs> me
2: on it are you <laughs> <laughs> put me on
0: the spot no no just wondered if you remembered us all watching it together and what, what we thought and what our impressions were at the time yes we all loved
1: it good, good. <laughs> really really descriptive that's why she's not on the podcast
0: anymore <laughs> good nice. nice well anyway uh, we, we're we're going to go and finish the episode but thanks for joining in Great pod, Mum. Seriously?
2: <laughs> is that what you're asking me?
0: Yeah. That's it. That was it. So, we got anything you can say, anything, you can answer a different question I haven't asked if you want.
3: <laughs> Everything that only falls and horses did, we watched as it came out.
0: Nice. since the day of our birth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got a podcast to record, so I'll, uh, I'll leave okay. you to it alright bye all right, bye <laughs> oh, get in well on that bombshell we obviously did watch it and all love it so let's talk about the thing that we loved back in 1996 it is kind of the finale time on our hands
2: stick a pony in pocket
3: I'll fetch the suitcase from
1: so we open in the flat, once again, it is bright and early, 6.30am they say, and Raquel is fretting over her parents coming for dinner that evening. I kind of instantly didn't realise that this all, so much happened in one day, I seem to remember this being over more days. But yeah, it's it's the day that they are expecting the visit, that evening, from Raquel's parents. Raquel's still finalising the menu, which is a bit late, quite frankly, you get, get your act together Raquel.
0: Apparently lemongrass wasn't easily obtainable in 1996.
1: I can believe that to be honest.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't deny it. It's just like surprising to think that only 25 years ago it, it was that exotic.
1: I mean, would you find lemongrass in like a quite a small cor- local corner shop like yeah.
0: No, you can't even get coriander in a local small cop.
1: Well, exa- Yeah, that's what I thought. It's pretty it's the same here so um in Norway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're really going to um, interrupt the flow of this whole podcast with drinking, <laughs> which is fine, but I'm just, just bringing it to light. <laughs> she
1: really, really shows the like 80s menu here with kind of it containing red wine and cognac with like lamb. It's, fun. it's kind of very rich, alcoholic dinners, I feel as being a very like late 80s, 90s thing. I don't feel people make food like that
0: anymore. It didn't sound like a meal that lemongrass was going to go with, if I'm honest. No,
1: not at all. What is the lemongrass doing in here? What, oh, yeah, lemongrass and cognac.
0: Lemongrass has got no place in that meal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we get a ton of exposition about the fact that uh, the, the parents are coming, Raquel's already met them, uh, along with Damien, but it's going to be the first time they've come to the flat, the first time they're meeting Dell, and all that sort of stuff. And, and it's a big occasion. They're getting in some fancy... Uh, Furniture just for the occasion? All sorts.
0: Yeah, this, this first scene is really quick fire. We we get a lot of information really, really quickly and and it kind of I would say it's on the cusp of feeling rushed. You, it's probably not something you'd notice if you're sort of not looking at it through the critical eye, but um there was just so much what's so funny. That should have been on the bingo. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might say that. <laughs> But yeah, it's it 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 almost feels rushed. they they're really setting the scene so quickly that there's a lot to get through. So that this first sort of five ten minutes we get we get a lot of information. I I feel uh, they br- I'm glad they bring it
1: up because it it needed to be said. Which is this is definitely a meal that should be having that they should be having at a restaurant. Like they they if you if you having to like bring in furniture just for the day and it's the very first time they're meeting dell i think doing all that at nelson mandela house is just that's that is a lot to take on
0: Do you know one of the things that we never really spoke about in any of the uh the episodes before which i noticed when i think we we're on the pod when we we're recording last week and i uh, had a little look at the episode they sit there. the furniture they're sitting on is like quite literally a park bench and then mm. another sort of small wooden Thing and and through the last couple of years of episodes, the the seating bit has sort of changed, and they've had loads of random, different like big puffy armchairs, and never really addressed it too much. I'm not not really sure why it was what it was for, but I guess they were just you know turning stock around or something
1: yeah i kind of like the idea that they were constantly buying and selling furniture and they were just using whatever was kind of intermittent at the time so every now and then they'd trade out their sofa and get in something else and then they'd flog it again or something it's uh it's a fun idea i'm pretty sure that the um the breakfast table that they're eating from here feels new as well although i'm not completely certain but i mean my favorite bit of this scene will come as no surprise to you (laughs) when uh Albert absolutely jumps at the chance for a 6.30am cognac
3: I'll get some breakfast then shall I ok will you check me on the bar see if we've got any cognac yeah alright there you go uh, yeah I've got plenty of it alright Albert what do you want well we're starting early I'll have a cognac as well
0: <laughs> what a hero move I mean absolutely <laughs> he is bang up for a 6.30 cognac night
1: <laughs> why not man after my own heart
0: yeah, I've I've had some pretty uh pretty early beers and breakfast beers after a, a sesh when one of the lads has ended up round or vice versa, but I can't say I've ever been offered or offered a uh, a pretty strong spirit at six thirty a.m. Not to say that I wouldn't say yes. I think I think if someone offered it to me, I'd I'd have no choice but to say yes because of personal pride.
1: Yeah, I think that that one time I had a. a, a a straight Scotch with a full English uh, while at college was probably the only time I've done something like that. And I can't say I enjoyed it, but maybe a good cognac could have been a very different experience.
0: They bring up the point that Rodney is obviously a bit troubled and uh, dealing with some of the issues they had from the last episode in regards to uh, the unfortunate miscarriage. And Albert is looking to impart some knowledge and offer some ways to get him out of the funk and this is a brilliantly classic line from him also. He's really stealing the show nice and early.
3: What Rodney needs is a counter-worry. You what? Well, during... If the... you say during the war once more, <laughs> I'm going to pour this cup of tea right over your head. I wasn't going to say during the war. Well, that's all right then, bloody little Noel. all right? I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, thank you. During the 1939-1945 conflict with <laughs> Germany... <laughs>
1: Yeah, but we could we could not quote that. I mean, that's that's one of, one of his most infamous lines for sure.
0: Is actually there's actually so much audience laughter going on that you can't even hear him complete the sentence. But everyone <laughs> yeah. just as soon as he says the 1939, everyone knows what's going on. And then <laughs> you've got David Jason doing his "I want to absolutely lay you out" face, but you've kind of found the loophole.
1: <laughs> there's almost a little bit of respect in it as well. It's a very nuanced <laughs> yeah. expression he's got there.
0: Game respect game,
1: <laughs> but yeah, it it is a real shame to hear that um, that Rodney and Cassandra are, are genuinely struggling, and Rodney's going out again every night. I mean, yeah, he doesn't deal do with these things very well. And the suggestion comes up to to give him a counter worry by pretending that Dell's seriously ill. That will somehow distract him. I mean, it, this was never going to work, but uh,
0: I don't think it's a terrible idea.
1: I think it's not a great idea, terribly executed.
0: Correct. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just think in with all that going on, I think your your brother being ill, like acting a bit flu like, lying down is just not going to concern you. If he just said like I've just come back from the doctors and I've you know, they found a tumour the size of a baseball in my face, then I might be I might be concerned. But mm. just kind of groaning man flu on the sofa is not gonna get you anything.
0: But they decide to go for it. Uh, As Rodney comes in, he is being very mopey, fairly understandably this time. But he uh, he's got his head in the paper, and he's paying no attention to Dell whatsoever. As Dell is putting, well, David Jason is putting on a a pretty epic uh, ill voice, one that you'd really, your school self would really, uh, really appreciate.
3: Good morning, Rodney. How how are you? Yeah, it's
0: definitely one for phoning the teacher, isn't it? But Rodney pays no notice and ends up walking off to get a cup of tea or something. And and Dale's just absolutely livid that that Rodney's not giving a shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does seem genuinely stunned about the lack of sympathy he's getting.
0: So the next scene and we are in the garage. Rodney is looking to catalogue their stock. And Delboy comes around the corner, and it doesn't take too long for things to get a bit heated. They're on the edge of sort of Rodney blowing up, but he uh, sort of goes back inside himself, and it doesn't quite doesn't quite release. They'll ask him what the problem is, and you know he gets he gets pretty worked up
1: yeah, it is a there's a few of these little moments where Rodney kind of always almost breaks but but doesn't quite and they they mix in the comedy quite well here and and a bit of interesting backstory as well there's a uh, reference to uh Rodney being told off before for keeping records and how Dell doesn't like records being kept unless they're um of the vintage shorty waddy variety
0: yeah when when it does sort of get heated uh Rodney's body language goes really really tight, and his shoulders come up and his arms out as he's sort of on the edge of of that
3: breakdown. What is the matter with me? Yes. Didn't anybody tell you? Okay, look, Rodney, I'm sorry. My wife was rushed to hospital a fortnight ago and we lost a... There's nothing wrong with me, Dill, right? Everything's hunky-dory. And it's
0: really intense for just a couple of seconds and Linhurst does a really good job of sort of conveying this this horrible struggle that he's sort of internalising. It was quite affecting
1: yeah absolutely and he also he brings up here the um, the dream he had a few uh, couple of episodes ago at the start of Heroes and Villains and he's telling Dell all about it and actually I just want to give a shout out to, someone mentioned that um, you said he was wearing a pink suit mm. and that it actually wasn't a, a pink suit there's clearly a dog collar he's clearly some kind of religious uh,
0: yeah, some kind of clergyman
1: yeah but uh, one that wears pink yeah but he he doesn't mention that, so we have no idea what his role was, but he says he was just a messenger, but he's clearly got some kind of... Uh... It's anti-Damian religion, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's clearly something going on there, but that was a very interesting costume choice, and it's a shame we didn't notice.
0: But yeah, shout out to uh, to Derek, great name by the way, um, for uh, for bringing that to our attention. Yeah, so after this sort of has, has got a bit intense and then calmed down a little bit, Rodney is saying that he's you know he's due some luck and just really wants things to go well and and Dell says you know you can't just put your hand in life's lucky dip and and pull out something to change your your life
3: ta there it is look that is going to change our lives
0: he pulls out a and uh, a fairly insignificant pocket watch and chucks it in a saucepan along the, uh, on the cooker on the other side that is an absolutely genius piece of writing
1: Hmm because it's they don't do that thing which t v always does when there's something that might come up later, it like stops on it for about five seconds longer than it should this this literally just goes he threw it over there, it vaguely shows you, and then it just moves on it doesn't hang around the first time you watch this. you never expect this to be relevant later.
0: something that I've really enjoyed in in this episode uh, a lot but but also in some of the the more recent episodes as we've come to the ones that I know so well is kind of seeing how that story develops and having that sort of six sense, second watch of it and, and seeing how the, the the storyline and those, um, those sort of not misdirections, but the, the, the subtleties within the script, how they, they sort of come to the fore. I really enjoyed sort of watching that and, and seeing how it was executed. And yeah, that, that bit was, was brilliant yeah there's
1: many times that uh, john sullivan is weaving very clever and intricate threads that do really uh, reward the rewatch and uh, it's you know it's not just funny comedy show it is very clever and this is one of those very very nice and clever moments for sure
0: so the next scene is in the lift uh, they're making way up to the twelfth floor, and the lift does unfortunately break down. And Dell pretty instantly starts to to panic. And th- this was actually one of the things that sort of was uh, the reason I was mentioning about watching it all. I was, I was really curious how this scene sort of came together as as we we sort of knew that there was a big release coming. And uh, yeah, DJ slash Dell, a bit meta acting really because <laughs> Dell's acting said. So that DJ is sort of acting on Dell's behalf of acting, and he's doing a really great job of proper panicking and seeing claustrophobic, and and uh, yeah, he's he's milking it for all it's worth.
1: Yeah, it's so rare that you see Dell losing his shit and Rodney being the calm one. It's very very rare, but you can see Rodney feels like he's just got so many bigger things on his mind that being stuck in a lift is literally the least significant thing that's going to happen to him today. He just. Takes it in his stride and just, you know, relax, calm down. The the one bit I do have an issue with is he says, sit down so they'll get cleaner air because the oxygen will be at the bottom. That's completely untrue. You go to the ground in a fire because smoke and heat rise. But if you're stuck in a lift, the CO2 is heavier than oxygen. It would fall. You want to stay standing. But apart from that, that was my <laughs> little uh, PSA there. Jesus, what's PSA? Public service announcement. Oh, right, okay. But apart from that, he's, uh, you know, he's cool as a cucumber. Boy, putting to rights the old conspiracies going on. (laughs) You know, the displacement of CO2 and oxygen is a big part of my job.
0: Ah, yeah, I suppose so. Drink. In the brewery. (laughs) (laughs) But Rodney wants to pass the time and rather ridiculously suggests a game to which Dell's got some... Some pretty good uh,
3: suggestions for that. Let's play a game. We play a game? Why? you got a ball in your pocket or something?
2: <laughs>
3: Different sort of game. I spy. I spy? Yeah. Well, you can go first. All right, then. I spy with my little eye something beginning with W.
0: Wolves.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wolves. that's right. Yeah, that's the end of that game, then, isn't it? <laughs> oh, all right. Who yeah, choose a game.
0: There's a, a an absolute split second where Rodney sort of gives evils evils to Dell there as he thinks that maybe Dell's gone for Wally or Wally Brain or something like that, but obviously it is just just walls.
1: We do also get a little cutscene here of um, the new tables and chairs being delivered by a very exhausted Denzel and Mickey Pierce. They've had to carry them up twelve flights of stairs as the lifts have broken down and we get a little glimpse at them um, moments later and it's dramatic it looks like they've been taken out of Dracula's house really long dark wood table just in the middle of the flat of Nelson Mandela house does look ridiculous
0: yeah straight out of Henry VIII's sort of style table in the Trotters flat and it doesn't really uh, doesn't really suit
2: if you
0: the best, but Ronnie starts talking about the fact he's reading his diary obviously been going in through some of his pasts and uh, it leads on to him looking into the future and what he thought he had coming his way and and where they are and and all this sort of stuff and this is where we get sort of the most famous feels part of of any of the episode in any part of the series as uh, as Rodney starts to break down it's super sad it's really heartfelt and it's just very cathartic moment as we as we watch Rodney's heartache start to pour out and for the first time we watch I'm not sure if we've even seen Del cry but it's the first time that I think we've ever seen Nick Lindhurst cry and and yeah, you're in
3: that moment for a bit. Suddenly, happy families became Dungeons and Dragons, and I've never felt so damn pain like that in all my life. Is Cassandra hurting? Of course she is. How do you know? You haven't talked to her about it. No, and you know why? It's because. It's because, like, it's almost if, if I don't talk about it, and it might not be true. But it is. I know, I know. But if I don't say it... If you don't say what? We lost our baby. But you did. And you have said it. Yeah, I said it. You just... You shield yourself from it, you know? I've just been lying, haven't I?
1: Yeah, it's an incredibly emotional scene. Um, I, I I feel like there's been some mixed opinions I've read about this scene online from different people... And I think a lot of people just struggle with the idea of seeing these characters in such an emotional scene. Um, And, you know, there's been... I've definitely seen some suggest that this this isn't a particularly well-acted scene. Or that they didn't like it. They didn't find it very affecting. For me, I think that's just... Maybe people just not expecting it. Or just not absorbing it in the correct way. Because for me, this is acted brilliantly i found it really affecting i think it's just enough i was definitely getting all the feels especially like the writing is brilliant and i think that whole concept of rodney not wanting to say the words being something that i I think that's completely how some people would react in that situation that you kind of pretending it's not happening and you never wanting to say it out loud I think it's brilliant. It's it's so uh, so affecting. Really, really emotional and really well
0: put together. I think it's really quick in and really quick out. Um, it, it's it's not an hour and a half film where we're watching Hollywood actors sort of delve into that. We haven't got a, uh, a music score in the background that's telling us what how we should feel. It's it's a very minimalist bit when that happens, and it's kind of you know, almost eerie silence as Rodney sort of puts his head into his knees and breaks down. I mean, no, it's not an Oscar-winning performance and it's not the best performance of any actor ever, but it serves a really, really good purpose and it does it tastefully and tactfully and quite snappily, the fact that we go into that lift, live in that moment for a couple of minutes and then seconds later... Everything is turned around, and there's jokes and and pretty much laughter at the fact of Rodney's realization that Dale set it all up, and he starts to, you know, call him a git and and laugh it off. I think it's very clever. It's it's not an acting masterclass or a huge moment in regards to its epicness, but it it serves a, a perfect purpose, and I think it's done really concisely, and uh, I, I I dig it. I thought it was good.
1: I think you're really right there about the whole the speed of it is part of the magic trick. The ability to go in and out of it is part of what is so difficult to do and maybe why it doesn't work for some people, but definitely worked for me. I, I definitely could have lived in that moment for another couple of minutes, hmm. um, but it, yeah, it was really, really good. It felt, it felt genuine to me. It really did.
0: There's a, really nice quote from dell which uh it just happens to be a little bit into one of our other favorite programs as well a quote from star trek um which is similar and uh he says that it's just a drop stitch in life's tapestry which i thought was a a really nice sort of metaphor um as it were you know you think about uh, a tapestry and how big and crazy they are and there obviously are bumps and, and missed stitches or drop stitches, but actually that they're, they're a thing of beauty and you don't really see those tiny imperfections. And I, I just thought it was really good. And it took, made me visualize that, but I think that was kind of the link to the sort of Star Trek quote of fairly similar ilk as well. It's
1: amazed me that it's come to our final episode that I think Star Trek might have come up at all. And that that's uh that's amazing. I'm glad it finally made it. It's been a
0: uh, long overdue. We have definitely ma- mentioned Star Trek once or twice. I don't think we have, you know. Yeah, we definitely have. I'm sure there's no way I lasted 70 so episodes of a podcast and didn't talk about Star Trek. I, I don't recall. Well, uh, I what I I reckon going you've to watched tr- more, Star Trek or any falls? Uh,
1: oh Star Trek, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: think so, me too. I think I
1: watched a lot more, I mean, it was definitely a lot more Only Fools until I was in my sort of mid to late teens, and then from there, more often Star Trek, well, next gen specifically, for sure.
0: Yeah, so if you think that we know Only Fools and Horses as (laughs) well, our Star Trek podcast would be horrid. Yeah, if there weren't
1: already 50 million of them, we might have been tempted, right? (laughs) Hmm.
0: But yeah, as I said, out of nowhere, Dell springs into action. The lift gets going. Rodney calls him a git, and then we make our way back out of the lift as they don't know whether to laugh or cry.
1: It's it's been a snappy episode, and we've just had a couple of scenes whiz by, and we're back in the flat for for the meal. They are on the way. Uh, did you see what is Dell is doing as we open this scene?
0: I actually I read the trivia but didn't notice it as uh, as it was going on. So I'll let you inform the ladies and gentlemen. So he is almost unnoticeably
1: making a cheeky Tia Maria and Lucasaid at the bar as we come into this scene here, which I love that goes completely unsaid.
0: It's a great little Easter egg. Brilliant. Did I <laughs> <laughs> Despite having read about it, <laughs> despite expecting Here's it. Here's a map,
1: missed it. Yeah. But Ra- Raquel's fretting, she's stressing, they're on their way, she's worried, of, no, not everything's ready. But, and eventually the doorbell goes, and Albert goes to welcome Raquel's parents.
3: You must be Raquel's parents. Yes, my wife Audrey, and I'm James. Lovely to meet you. Please follow me. <laughs> She did say
0: he was older than her. <laughs> yeah, and even though Raquel has worn to rain in the French, he can't help himself with a classic au revoir meeting. It's a
1: great moment. Um, I, I just want to mention here uh, Raquel's mum, I looked her up on IMDb, uh, Anne Lynn. This, uh, she had a, a very long and very successful career. However, this was the very last thing she did. Oh, Really? Yeah, she she went on to to live another uh, fifteen years. I think she she passed just last year, actually. Uh, but yeah, nineteen ninety six was the last thing she did. She retired at whatever she was around there, about sixty.
0: She wasn't in Faulty Towers, was she?
1: Uh yeah.
0: Was that on her own? No, 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 no,
1: no. We, do you? Know, it's because we're pitching her out eating. And it's like she's at sitting at a table at Faulty Towers because I just saw that. I can now just picture that scene later where she puts the food in her mouth and goes
0: Hmm and for for a second I thought that was a scene from Faulty Towers, but it's just this. Probably need to drink for that uh, British sitcom mention, eh? I should go get a fill up. So yeah, Dell is wooing Raquel's parents, and ever the confident, he is uh, thinking he's smashing it as he walks off and sort of silently fist pumps himself. And then we uh, we cut into dinner. So I felt it was a bit wrong that a couple of uh, alcohol mentions have
1: gone past without us drinking exactly what they, they mention. We uh, you know we didn't have a cognac when Albert wanted one. We didn't have the uh, the Team marie de Aid again. So I thought I'd at least bust out this little mini bottle of port I have here. As uh, I've got in this... port
0: actually. Get a port. Oh okay, I'm gonna have some port. Hang on a sec, wait there. That's a the spirit. <laughs> so you you got a mini you got a mini bottle. I've just got an entire big bottle. Yeah, mine, mine's a friendly, uh, what is this, maybe 200ml? This is actually given to me by uh, the dearest mother, Drink. Nice. Because um, she she for Christmas we got a few different drinks in, and I think she got a shitload of sherry in, and uh, sherry and port both shouldn't be kept for too long. They should be drunk within a month or so of being opened. And she couldn't possibly drink them both, so she gave this one to me. Which I forgot I had, so hopefully it's still alright. Here, we'll find out in a minute. Mm, part its best, but I'm what? sure it'll do the job. <laughs> not bad enough to throw away, just uh, not <laughs> ideal. It's never too bad to throw away. <laughs> nice, what is it? It's alright. It's uh, Cockburn's number one special reserve. Nice. Pretty standard, but pretty good. Nice. I've got a
1: uh, a Grant's tenure here.
0: Yeah.
1: Fucking, I, I love port, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the th- problem I have is that I like loads of things, and it's impossible to have all of the things that I like on show. Like, if I had, like, just untold shelves, and I could <laughs> just put everything on all the shelves so I can see them all the time, I mean, it wouldn't be good for my my health, but I just there's so many things that I like. It's hard to consume them all because because they're all hidden behind all the other things that I like. You get what I'm coming from. I, I
1: I've never understood anything more. <laughs> no, it it is a challenge. i i uh, and also especially with things like port, like you wanna. You want to make sure you get through that bottle pretty quickly. But I'm always amazed with port how easy it is. I've o- I I've remember opening a few bottles of port thinking, oh, I must remember to get through this in the next week or so. And then, like, it's done an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that happen more than once. But, yeah, cheers. Uh, cheers, James.
0: Oh, cheers. I, I was actually going to suggest uh, we have a shot halfway through because I just thought it would be fun to do at the halfway point. And we're pretty close to the halfway point, but... Smashing down tumblers of port is... That's, that's good enough. That's better. We do need to be able to see by the end of the podcast. <laughs> we not, might not be able to talk, but as long as we can see. <laughs> Bedell is uh, wooing Raquel's parents. He's thinking he smashed it, ever the confident self, and gives himself a little cheeky fist pump and says he's knocking in bandy or something to that effect as he walks away. It's funny, I don't think... It- I've been. I know we'd
1: been aware of it before, but the age difference between uh, Raquel's parents and Dell doesn't seem that big compared to Dell and Raquel. You know what I mean? I feel like Dell's in the middle.
0: He is in the middle.
1: Yeah, he's as close to one as the other.
0: I think Raquel's age does come up at some point. I think it may be on their first date in dates. I think she says how old she is, but um, I guess there must be about ten years difference between them. Yeah,
1: I think it's more than that in real life, but I think their char- I think it's closer to 15 in real life, but they're uh, yeah. their characters I believe that's about right. So he is uh 40 and she is 57, so yeah,
0: 17 years. 17 years. Mm. Yeah, I guess there's 10 just over 10 years difference between them and if that is again doubled for the parents that's probably about right, 20-25 years. He is uh he is the in between. Mm. So we
1: then have a little mini cut and uh, they're kind of deep in the meal about to get real... really tuck into their mains. And um, this is a really weird scene because we see the back wall.
0: Yeah, I did think of that actually. It wasn't actually mentioned in any of the trivia stuff that no, I was it's, reading. But... It, it's just
1: awesome. We've never seen it since Hollenbeck. I don't really understand how this was done because of the live audience. I don't know if these shots were taken... Uh, later, or if maybe they're to the side, but they've just made mm-hmm. it look like they're actually because they would have been in 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 way of shot if they were actually sitting opposite Dell, um, or opposite uh, Rodney and Cassandra
0: really, because then that that third wall obviously comes back a bit further and we see that wall as well.
1: Yeah, and... that's what's weird is the room suddenly becomes massive.
0: Oh, the room is so big. I, I think I we spoke ages ago about the fact that I think the set got bigger, but now the set is crazy. That they would be essentially right on the edge of the stage compared to the earlier shots. Because yeah. the the big dining table is miles away from the the bar area. Like like I don't know, ten, fifteen feet away, and then you've got the table the, the width of the table and the chairs, I mean, the, the flat is now huge. Yeah, they, they've literally, if you split the... Before, I always felt like the flat
1: was 50-50, like lounge area and bar area, if you were to split it, like, in that way, into two rectangles. They've literally added an entire third of the room, which apparently, until hmm. now, they've completely unutilised. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. I do like the idea that maybe, like, there's just shelves there that are always just full of shit they're trading or something (laughs) like i wish they'd given us something i feel like you could have fixed this bit with a bit of fun dialogue or maybe seeing um uh if they'd given us it would have been such shitty fan service but i would have enjoyed it if they'd done it if maybe when denzel and uh, mickey were emptying the room if they'd shown that wall and there was like loads of shit there that would have been wicked i would have really enjoyed that
0: just filled Easter eggs all over the place. Yeah,
1: yeah, it would have been great because, yeah, there's so much room there. I mean, the the far side of the table starts at where the TV is. And like you say, you've got the table and then the seating place and then the wall and there's room to walk behind them. And then suddenly this room's massive. Not a bad flat after all. It's suddenly huge. I mean, that's that's an amazing living space. I mean, what an area to entertain.
0: It doesn't take long for uh, them to convince the uh, the parents to stay and get a cab back, so they end up having a couple of sherbets. I think you said they were tucking into dinner, but they're not tucking into dinner yet, are they? They're about to, yeah, they're about to. And uh, just before they they start tucking in for dinner, we we go into the kitchen, and Albert is on the coffee far too early, and uh, Del has this brilliant bit of patter about sophistication.
3: What do you mean you made the coffee? It's too early. Isn't it? They haven't finished their mains yet. It don't usually take us that long to finish our dinner, does it? No, no, know that. that is because we're not golloping down a Big Mac and Chips, are we? <laughs> We've got guests. We're taking our time. We're savouring the food and the ambience. We're sipping the wine and we're conversing. I mean, out there, they're having a chat between each mouthful. It's sophisticated, it's civilized. Right? Okay, don't worry. I'll whack this in the microwave. <laughs> it's
0: so good, isn't it? It is so brilliant. I, I I
1: I don't know what it is about it that the way he delivers it is just so um so eloquent. So perfect. It's
0: eloquent and there's there's this like poise and um hesitant to it, this this like slow delivery and he's got this even different tone in his voice as he does it it's like he's suddenly just become a snob but like actually convincingly it's brilliant yeah but it's like he really knows Mm. like it's it's, it's like
1: he despite the fact that we've always seen him we've seen him eat dozens of times and he's always shoveling it down like can't eat quick enough but um, you know he apparently knows the rules he he might not have shown them back in a royal flush but he knows the rules
0: yeah, I was going to quote exactly the same thing. I think he was uh, smashing it down then. I'm surprised he didn't do a bang-a-rang and start throwing <laughs> food all over the place.
3: You loot crude, rude, bag of pre-chewed food, dude. Make a right <laughs> leader!
0: But yeah, he's, uh, he's got an extra gear, which we've never seen before. There is uh, a sophistication to Dell that we never knew existed, and it still just doesn't seem out of place. He, he's, he's doing great.
1: That uh, is awesome. Did you see that Rodney was serving the wine to Raquel's parents in one of those uh angled wine server things?
0: What like a a thing that goes around the wine bottle or a carafe?
1: Uh no, it's like a thing that goes around the wine it, it's it's like something you lay the wine bottle in so the wine
0: bottle sits at about Oh yeah, uh, about exactly. 60 degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never never actually seen one in real life, though.
1: No, I've never used one. I imagine they were very popular for a while. I assume it's to stop disturbing the sediment, I, I guess, when you're pouring from kind of glass to glass. I imagine that's the reason. Um, but, yeah, what a weird thing. No one needs that in their house. What a huge piece of equipment that you just don't need.
0: Might get one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, here, I mean, th- this whole episode is just laden with uh, quote-unquote classic moments and this whole coffee gravy mix up is so, so good. DJ absolutely kills it. And every single mannerism that he does as this comes off is stunning.
3: They're only doing it. They're only out there doing it now. They're only pouring Maxwell bleed now. Look their lamb noise rats and I don't believe you. Not only have you managed to sink every aircraft carrier and battleship that you've ever sailed on, but now you've gone and knackered a gravy boat.
1: It, it reminded me of the story we've told on the podcast before about uh, Mum putting coffee liqueur in a in a sauce. <laughs> drink for this, Mother.
0: Yep, yep. You know, I forgot that one. <laughs> <laughs> now drinking port for every drink is very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did fill up my tumbler and it's empty so i'm refilling up my tumbler I, I saw you fill it as well you've clearly <laughs> been drinking that too fast <laughs> what are you drink what, what, how much have you got in that
1: grants bottle uh it's it's 200 and i poured maybe a third of it
0: yeah I see that often
1: i'm sure we will do i'm actually drinking
0: out of um just because this is a whole bottle that had hardly any out of it, and half <laughs> of it's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was surprised
1: by your first measure, and I'm a lot more surprised to find out less than ten minutes later it's finished. <laughs> yeah, that, that's too much pour in a glass. But I, I'm drinking out of um, my uh, 21st birthday tumbler that you bought me, actually, in fact, which is the uh, sort of nicest piece of glass where I
0: have in the house. I can't believe you haven't got any other nicer glassware, to be fair, being such an alcohol ponce.
1: I've got you know, some nice beer glasses and stuff, but uh, and some fairly average wine glasses, but this is, without doubt, the only kind of really nice glass. I haven't, like, more than a ten-quid glass
0: in my house. Buster Merrifield here does his dog-being-told-off recoil again, and over the next couple of minutes, they'll absolutely lays into him so yeah. hard. so much so that like you're almost sitting there going oh like you can't ever feel sorry for him because that fucking livid <laughs> and just just really goes for all of the most horrible things he can do and he comes back in and i was giving a little bit forward here but Albert's like, yeah, I, I don't need any food. And Dell comes and he pours the gravy all over his food and then just goes, git. <laughs> so aggressive. <laughs> so, and Albert is like recoiling and so like ashamed and he just looks like he wants to go and hang himself. I felt so bad for him, but it is comedy genius.
1: The thing I don't get is... If you like, if there was some coffee in your gravy or in your sauce, then fair enough. But if if the gravy is literally just coffee, surely someone smelt that and just gone. Oh wait, this has got. No one says nothing. Everyone just goes. Oh wait, this all tastes like black coffee. But no one says nothing. It's it's not like he accidentally added coffee to the gravy. He just served coffee in the gravy boat.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it's just just me, but. I am, and my friends will attest to the fact that I'm fairly matter of fact in pretty yes. much all situations. <laughs> and there's this, there's this like British idea of, you know, being very reserved and not speaking about problems and so on. But I, if I was there, I'd literally be like, "What have you done? This is clearly coffee. You're fucking insane!" Like, I, how no one mentions it, and everyone's just like, "Oh." Don't worry, I'm full. And I would also, I'd just go to the sink, run it all under the sink, and then come back and eat it again. I, I mean, I've done that on a few occasions where i <laughs> massively <laughs> f- mess something up. On a few occasions, several occasions. You go to like put some salt on it and the top of the salt comes in. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you get, and you get literally an entire salt shaker worth of salt on the lovely bit of food you just made. Just go to the tap, rinse it off good to go i'm not gonna throw away a lovely piece of meat or a lovely meal because it's slightly too salted
1: yeah i don't know how well coffee would rinse off lamb noisettes but uh i mean i'd certainly (laughs) give it a try
0: (laughs) yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't give up straight away
1: and also if you're the one who made it you went into all that effort making it you would go bollocks we accidentally poured coffee over it (laughs) like but it was obviously a good meal before like, I don't know, I feel like you'd say something, like, poor Raquel, because it feels like everyone's implying that she made a shit meal, rather than some twat just poured gr- coffee over it.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to put the blame entirely at Albert's feet, rather than Ra- Raquel feeling any kind of yeah. sadness or, or or badness for it.
1: And, and the last thing I'll say on the subject is, back in the very first scene where Raquel was talking about all the stress of making dinner, and This very fancy lemongrass, lamb, noisettes, cognac, red wine dinner. Albert's contribution was going to be making the gravy. I thought he would do more than put some Maxwell House into... Oh, no, sorry. I thought he'd do more than put some (laughs) Oxo. He didn't do more
0: than that. He did exactly that. (laughs) I thought
1: he'd do more than just put some granules in some water and be like, look, I made the fucking gravy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you and me are like absolute gravy snobs, so... That that would go to reason. The gra- Gravy is a bit of a, a ritual. It's a bit of a religion for, for Bob and I. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Bobby, did you tell the story? You We've did, told the story. We, we told the story <laughs> about Bobby's ex who did exactly the same and he was furious.
1: I just put using some bisto in your gravy as, as an ingredient to add some thickness and flavor and whatever. I'm absolutely fine. It's like using stock. It is an ingredient. But to just put some bisto with hot water, stir it, and call it gravy
0: is a just a, a joke. We could be offending half of our listenership now. I,
1: but, uh, I'm, I I stand by this. I'm happy to die on this mountain.
0: There is uh, there is one good thing about uh, literally just bisto gravy um, is it's fine for vegetarians. So if you're making like a a, a vegetarian pie or something like that. Uh, for something which is actually has no meat in it. It is a really good meat substitute gravy. But... Uh, but is there no meat but in this, is
1: there? No.
0: It is vegetarian-friendly.
1: I still want to, like, you know, roast some carrots and onions and... Celery oh, yeah, and yeah. Some, I mean, that
0: Obviously, you only get some other flavour in there, but as a shortcut, it does a pretty good job.
1: If if someone turns up at your house for the Sunday roast and they turn out to be vegetarian, you can quickly make up a little side sauce and leave the chicken off the plate,
0: and they'll they'll be they'll be happy as Larry.
1: Yeah, yeah, nice, good to know. I actually didn't know that. Fascinating.
0: No, I found out quite recently. Um.
1: So so following on from the uh, coffee lamb disaster assures everyone that they have a fantastic dessert planned. And I'm not sure how much of a joke this is or how much of just like a, again, 80s, 90s thing this is. The dessert, Mandarin segments and instant whip.
0: <laughs> For a second, I forgot what it was because it didn't have a note on it. But I remember thinking at the time, that is not a fucking dessert. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a dessert! <laughs> Zero prep has gone into that. You've, you've peeled
1: an orange <laughs> yeah, and you've squirted some crap from a can.
0: Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, it would be disappointing enough, but if the meal was amazing, you wouldn't need something so, you know, outlandish. But as the meal was a car crash, I'd be livid to get a bit of orange or some cream on top.
1: I don't think there's any meal in the world where if you served me afterwards a few segments of mandarin and some canned whipped cream on the side that I wouldn't be furious. (laughs) Don't, like, if if you, just don't
0: bother. I don't need a dessert. That
1: isn't one. It's like an insult.
0: (laughs) I actually have had like some bits of fruit after really heavy salty meals like sometimes Chinese uh, it's quite off you can get something like that and it isn't bad but then the cream kind of destroys the whole point of that kind of palate cleanser and nice refreshing juiciness so you're kind of losing on all accounts
1: Yeah I quite like a simple dessert like lemon tarts creme brulees and uh, panna cottas they that's kind of my type famously of dessert simple well, I mean, an am asked to make, but they're quite simple in flavor and texture and stuff. Like, I know they're, you know, the decent amount of effort goes into them, but they're quite simple in flavor. Like, I'm not like a What's big... What's a
0: complex dessert, then?
1: or something like a like a pie or, or something like that, you know? Like a, a big fruit pie or a big fruit cake. Uh, something like that. I, I like the kind of simple citrusy desserts. I don't like anything too fruity or too um, chocolatey. But, I mean, this is just a car crash over dessert. <laughs> Unless it, if it's served with cheese that might that might save it but there's no mention of a cheese. Maybe Rodney bought the cheese like he did in Tea for Three.
0: Well you got cheese. <laughs> oh, That's quoting the show. Good oh, drink. <laughs> good. <laughs> it's like um, well the thing is that we're drinking constantly anyway. So we're uh, we're getting doubly, doubly skew if and that leads me on to a fun story to so one of my good friends, Jen who's a very good friend of mine, when we went to uh we were in Australia. Uh, oh, oh fuck now now i <laughs> mentioned travelling as well. Jesus this is a minefield. So well done to everyone. What you've basically tuned in on is me and Bobby getting blissfully drunk while talking about the <laughs> talking about the show a little bit.
1: Intermittently. <laughs>
0: So uh, Jen and I we we're, were in Australia in Sydney, and uh, we went. We were planning to go to the fireworks for the for New Year's Eve, and we turned up at Sydney Harbour at like ten a.m. Bear in mind it's summer in Australia at that time, like peak of summer, so ludicrously hot. And we uh, <clears throat> we sat down with a few friends, and you have to get there really early to get a position to watch the the fireworks at like literally ten a.m. We're there waited all day in the blistering hot Australian sun and it got so hot we ended up going leaving and getting umbrellas and coming back so we had some sort of shelter from the sun because (laughs) us and our friends were literally getting cremated as the day went on but because we couldn't really leave the area we had to sneak in and sneak out and there was no like food or drinks there we didn't drink all day so we watched the well, we could be we just. We, it wasn't possible to take. It was blisteringly hot, so we couldn't. T- we took a couple of beers and we had like two beers, but we couldn't take a bar. So <laughs> what happened was we watched the fireworks, and then it was I don't know half twelve, one o'clock, and we're like blissfully sober in the middle of Sydney at one a.m. Feeling like oh great, we watched one of the best fireworks shows in the whole world, but it is New Year's Eve and we're sober as you like, which just wasn't going to wash. So we ended up going home and uh, decided to play a game of Centurion oh. which those those of you who don't know <clears throat> um you have a shot of beer every minute for an hour or 100 100 minutes but because we were so stone cold sober we basically like double double turboed it and we did it with goon which is box wine cheap box wine which is what all the travellers in Australia drink cuz it's like I don't know, nine bucks a box or something. It's uh, I think it's about thirteen percent, and it says on the box like may contain fish or eggs. There's no may about it. It does. Um, Wait, what? Why are the fish and eggs in it? Well, I, I'm, you must know that wine is often. Um, yeah,
1: I know. I know fish.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the, the glasses. I don't know.
0: I didn't. I didn't ask anyone. It, it's just a thing that exists. I didn't. I didn't deep dive into why there's eggs in it, but apparently there. I think maybe the egg white does some cleaning or whitening or something. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> so we did Centurion with 13% horrible cheap box wine, but every 30 seconds because every 60 seconds didn't really seem <laughs> like the thing to do. What an awful while, idea! I know, I know it's well, it wasn't necessarily awful. So, um, between drinking a shot of wine every 30 seconds and tandeming that with a bottle of champagne, which we had, and also a bottle of basically tenant super, it's this stuff called uh, Tui's Platinum, which is like a seven percent pikey as you like beer. So we smashed the the champagne and the pikey beer in the first five minutes. And I think 27 minutes in, we were annihilated, like falling about the place. And it was so good. Never have I achieved drunkenness so quickly when I needed to be drunk so much. And it worked exactly as we needed it to. And it ended up being a brilliant night. And I think we were just drunkenly hugging each other on the sofa for about two hours after that.
1: (laughs) I did a couple of Centurions at uni, but the problem with Centurions is just the the gas intake. You just end up being more CO2 than water in the human body, and it's just not a pleasant experience.
0: All right, let's get back into the plot before we get too drunk to be able to read my notes.
1: We warned you it was going to be a low edited podcast. Because <laughs>
0: <laughs> where it all comes from is a
2: mystery. It's like the changing of the seasons and the times of the sea.
1: Anyway, to to return to the plot, um, that is a very unsuccessful meal over. And we join them again uh, the next day, uh,
0: back at the garage. Yeah, James comes down to bid a farewell to Dale. All seems right as rain, and uh, just as he's about to exit, he notices this, this watch that, that earlier Dale had chucked into the saucepan. And he... Uh,
3: He's pretty interested. Good Lord. Hmm? Oh, I know, it's filthy, isn't it? Eh? Uh, Rodney, have you got any of that WD-40 there? We give giving this thing. <laughs> no, I mean, it has the name Harrison engraved in it. You can see there. Harrison, AD 1774. How did you come by this watch, Derek? Yes, yeah, so and naturally,
1: I, uh, I IMDB'd this actor as well, Michael Jaston. Uh, he'd been in tons of things and he is still going strong uh, you know still got credits from just the last couple of years uh, lots of uh, just yeah, English TV very very standard stuff we see all the time in Only fours and Horses couple of repeat roles he had a long stint in uh, EastEnders and one in Emmerdale um, I think <laughs> I really like it when he's been in Holby City four times playing different characters uh, <laughs> which is which is always fun to see Um, but there's something about this scene which I just thought was so brilliantly done because it would be so easy to have this be cheesy and just overly done and hammy and a bit naff the way he gets all excited about this watch but it's brilliantly done he gets just the right amount of excited he gives us the information and sounds incredibly professional like you totally believe he's an antique dealer I, I just loved this scene for the way that you know, this guy sold it. Mm. It was just really, really good.
0: Yeah, I, I did. I said exactly the same note that uh Raquelstead did a, a really good job of looking astounded. The uh, it's one of those things that I think again it it would go so unnoticed if you're not you know really paying attention to it and and thinking about it, but actually, because Only Fools is like not a serious drama. I don't think you're expecting to see like world class acting, and and you're not you're not analyzing that part of it but throughout the entire series there have been a couple of a couple of extras or a couple of people or even the main cast where there's just moments of of real acting genius where it is fulfilling the the sort of emotion and the moment just absolutely perfectly and and there's not nearly enough props for the for the actors for that and this is definitely one of those the way that he's sort of tightly holding this uh, this watch and there's a, yeah. there's a, a slight tremor in his voice and he says like you know my hands are shaking and there is like a really slight shake in his hand and the the, the enormity of what's about to happen is unbelievably huge and and as he tells this story which is just beautiful like it, it's just such a, a beautiful fantasy this idea that there's this watch lost for 300 years that is like the finest timepiece of one of the greatest watchmakers ever the monumental sort of moment of this discovery for someone who is not only an antique dealer but um, a, a, a watch specialist what does it say, what does it, say it is? Horology um, Horologist yeah that imagine that i mean if you are a specialist in a field and you find your white whale I yeah mean, it would it would be incredible and and you feel that and and mm. if you're really looking into that that bit of and the way that that um the actors portraying it you can feel that he is actually seeing something that that is unbelievable and i loved it absolutely insane execution
1: that's the thing because i feel like every line he says if you see it written on a page sounds shit like <laughs> really really naff like oh my hands are shaking i'm so excited like it sounds terrible on a page mm. it has to be delivered perfectly and it is uh yeah and and it's great and the story he tells is great and um largely true in many ways um we should probably say you know there there was a A Harrison Lesser watch, which was a a, a missing watch. It's a fantastic story that that, uh, John Sullivan heard about and thought was a great idea. I struggled to find really good details on it, but essentially it did seem to me from what I found that, yes, the watchmaker is real, the time period, everything, and that there was one missing watch uh, that he made that was uh, meant to be particularly special all of this is true,
0: but it's never been discovered in real life.
1: I don't believe so.
0: Right? Okay, that's kind of brilliant as well. It's great. I did it's... wonder. I didn't. I didn't look into it because I assumed that you probably would, <laughs> which I'm glad you have done. <laughs> but I, I think uh, to, there was
1: there was a lot of stories before this episode came out about the Trotter something special happening to the trotters in this episode, and everyone assumed they would win the lottery.
2: Hmm
1: how naff would it have been if that happened like yeah, every terrible. every american kid sitcom has had an episode where someone you know, keenan kell won the lottery like <laughs> it, it it would have, you know it it's been we done need to get some... some more
0: more references in here that i can just drop drops in for <laughs> Kid and Kill, brilliant. Fresh Prince, ba-
1: Fresh Prince of Fresh Prince Bel Air. They pretend. Just keep listening. Jeffrey that it breaks, yeah, the won the lottery. <laughs> it's it, it's like a real tropey thing that either someone wins the lottery or thinks they've won the lottery in comedy because it's such an easy way to just make an exciting situation. This is telling everyone a story that nobody knows yet is true and is a genuine reason that someone could suddenly be in possession of something incredibly valuable
0: it's brilliant and it's so plausible like the it's completely believable that 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 that, that Dell the trotters could be in possession of this um the fact that he would go to someone's house have right to their stuff massively plausible dell has got his fingers and all in in hands all over the place the chance that when things get lost like that it, it's perfectly possibly it'd be in some old buddy's attic or something like that yeah. you know it
1: happens all the time that really mm. famous paintings and pieces of art turn up in someone's attic that they didn't know they have it it happens every year that that um priceless works of art or engineering just turn up
0: i do want uh, one of the things we spoke about in heroes and villains was the uh the sort of desire to escape from the the media for giving away any spoilers. I I, I assume that it was the same for this because obviously it all came round, but I don't know if I don't know if there was anyone that knew, expected or had an inclination that the Trotters were about to make it. Like I don't know if that was any kind of idea.
1: From what I've heard that that was basically known that there, that that was that had kind of gotten out or or, or was deliberately released that this this is what this trilogy was going to 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 end in
0: it was the build up to the to the happy ending yeah
1: to to them making it to them making their millions right so we now come to the pub Rodney and Dell are uh, talking to Trigger and Denzel and explaining and Boise and explaining that they found this watch and it's kosher and they've got no idea what it's going to be worth it could be you know, tens of thousands, even. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a great bit here where they try to explain what the watch is and what is so special about it. And <laughs> there's a really not unreasonable question from, uh, from Mike.
3: It's a watch. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's more than that. It lets you know exactly where you are anywhere in the world. How'd it get lost then? <laughs> <laughs>
0: this would probably be. If I'm going to criticise anything in this entire episode, and there probably should be one um it's going to be the fact that they would have no idea what the what the valuation is. I don't believe that for a second the fact the fact that bidding starts at a massively and more amount than what they're quoting now, there would be a retainer or an expectation. something like i know that they say something like this has never come up before but you know they're starting their bidding at like a 50 100 grand or something there would be a a rough estimation which would be a shed load more than the measly 10 20 grand that they are referring to like you don't take a 300 year old famed artifact off two random people's hands and not not give them a rough indicator of its value. I mean, it's clearly worth hundreds of thousands.
1: Well, I, don't, I mean, if the most expensive watch that had been sold in auction in the last five years running up to this had been £50,000, maybe it was. I, mean, I don't know how much a watch could go for, but I, I guess that would be the idea. And that starting bid could be the result. I mean, they've got phone bids in there. Could be you know beforehand they might not have known, but then on the day people have looked at it and someone's put that in as a starting bid. Maybe they'd planned to start the bidding exactly. Yeah, maybe they'd planned on starting the bidding at ten grand, and then they'd had these insane starting bids. So actually, in the room, it does start at this
0: ridiculous amount. Yeah, I'm not going to get massively hung up on it. It was probably the only thing throughout the the whole episode that I thought, eh, they'd probably sell themselves way short there, especially after the way that. Uh, Raquel's dad was basically like climaxing in his pants about it I mean you'd you'd think it would be a little bit more than 10 grand yeah no, I, I get what you mean it's totally a, a fine point But we're moving along pretty swiftly we are pretty much at the halfway point of the episode at this point but we're already on the, on the cusp of the auction and uh, they make the next cut is to Sotheby's you see the three wheeled van parked outside on the double yellow. Right outside as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a good shot. I love that shot. Yeah, it, it is great. And yeah, the auction is just about to take place. Um, I'm mildly concerned that I'm drinking this port faster than I would a normal bottle of red wine.
1: Yeah, maybe may, may give yourself an intermittent beer. Just, you know. Yeah,
0: okay, let's stop the port. Let's go on to the beer. That's a great idea. <laughs> I just I just so happen to have already gone and got a uh, a beer ready as well. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to have them both. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing it's a Friday night, isn't it? Yeah, word. So we're at Sotheby's. We hear a, a chatter of a few bids. It's very up market, very, very posh. The, uh, the announcer's got his glasses right on the end of his nose, very softly and, and quietly calling out the bids. 30,
3: 32, 35. 35,000.
1: It's great,
2: actually.
0: Yeah, it is kind of great. It's a very different environment than I've ever been in, but it's (laughs) setting this this insanely great scene. But as that lot ends, uh, the trotter's lot is up next, so the caller introduces what they're looking at.
3: Now we come to lot 73. A solid silver pocket marine timekeeper. This was found in London by two brothers. Unfortunately, they held on to the piece for sixteen years, believing it to be a Victorian egg timer.
0: <laughs> Great little burn from the uh, the caller there. That that they're, they're sort of looking there. They they sort of look at not each other, but they look around like, oh yeah, you know, we brought this, thinking they're all connoisseurs, and then they get their their bubble quite hugely blown. It's very good. Yeah, they get absolutely owned,
1: but they uh, they don't have hard feelings for too long because just seconds later, the bidding is
0: started at
1: one hundred and fifty thousand pounds.
0: Yeah, uh, we get pretty much instantly a Dell falling through the bar, sort of reanimation, as it were, as he uh, just falls back instantly, and it's just it's just great. This this moment from now on. This is just like bliss. <clears throat> we get a quick shot of them outside as they sort of get themselves together, and uh, and Dell sort of saying, "You know, did it finish?" And Rodney's like, "No, it's still going on." You know, it was three hundred,
1: three fifty. I I don't care if you were dead, I would not be leaving that room as those numbers <laughs> were being.
0: The-, the idea that
1: like Rodney dragged Dell out and they were just having a little chat while the bidding was going on, <laughs> not of chance. I would just I would leave you there. And just, there are so many big numbers being said. Just be kicking you slowly, waiting for you to wake up.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. They walk in, and uh, we get the next call, I don't even what it is, five, six million or something it's, it's like that. It's four, so it's like three and a half, three and three quarters, four million pounds. That reminds me of uh twins again when <laughs> when Danny DeVito is like for million, million dollars.
2: Million dollars.
0: For a million dollars. <laughs> for million dollars. Great scene. This is all the stuff that doesn't normally go on pod. <laughs> just sit there quoting loads of other things and having a laugh. But uh yeah it it ends and we get this shot of them slowly walking to the van there's it's completely underplayed it's there's no movement there's no excitement and we're just poised ready for the realization of what's actually going down
3: so what was the final outcome it was bought by an anonymous bidder He's giving it to the Maritime Museum at Greenwich, so at least it stays in the country. Oh, yeah, well, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you wally. Was the final score? What exactly did it go for? Oh.
0: This moment is just really drawn out for so long. The way that they like, slowly come into the car, the slow reveal of what's going on, and the slow reveal of the money... I genuinely actually felt like tension in my heart and stomach, like just waiting for it to release. I, I don't know if it was just because of the, the sort of tie-in to the, the podcast and the fact that it was feeling like this false finale for, for me personally, but when it finally releases and that van is rocking like crazy and we get this wide London shot, I was so happy to have that release Um,
3: 6.2 million so that's just over 3 million each (laughs) well we've had worse
2: days (laughs) you want to go first or should I?
3: Then we go together yeah yeah alright one two three
1: yes! I mean it is an incredible moment just I, I like the way they play it that underplayed kind of build up really works I mean I'm, I'm going to ignore the fact that Rodney has to tell Del like Del wouldn't know because he wasn't there Uh, Because it's a great reveal to the audience and it's such a better way to reveal it to the audience than us maybe just being in the room, watching it kind of slowly build. Because then you just, if we were in the room, we would just be wanting it to go higher and higher and we'd almost be disappointed when it finally stopped. For Mm. us to kind of see that 4 million last bid, then go outside and find out it was 50% more than that, it is amazing. I mean, for some context, that is 11.9 million. In today's money,
0: oh yeah, yeah, calling back some of the uh, the calculator.
1: Also, out of interest, when he found it back in 1980, the watch. If you were to work it back, assuming it would go for the relative same price, which is a stretch, but it would have been two point seven million hmm. in 1980 money. So uh, that's just good interest. Really, <laughs> hold on to it for thirty years, triple in money. It's an amazing moment i mean i I also find it a little bit amusing and it goes completely unquestioned, which is kind of nice but Del, uh, but it's actually Rodney that says three just over three million each. Rodney assumes a fifty fifty split straight away, <laughs> and Dell says nothing. There's no 60 no sixty
0: forty in this situation.
1: No, there's really not. And Dad always said, if I t- you know said back in the day, if I had two million, I'd give you a million, and he never has ever really split it fifty fifty. And on this one, I don't know. I guess Rodney keeping the receipt was such an integral part of them getting the money that maybe this time he <laughs> does deserve it.
0: He's earned his fifty percent. Yeah, maybe because
1: if they didn't have that receipt, maybe Dell wouldn't have been able to claim a penny.
0: That that's a really. Beautiful observation, actually. I love that. I didn't even think about it for a second, but actually that's uh, that's a great way to sort of finish off this whole uh, kind of rivalry. The next scene, and we're in uh, Boise's auto shop. We're looking at the uh, Rolls-Royce Corniche. Do you know how much these bad boys went for? Well, I know at the time they said it was 70k. Oh, I didn't notice that they said Oh
1: no, he says. Uh, yeah, if it all because Dell is worried. He doesn't want to buy it because he says if all, if it all goes pear shaped, I'm seventy uh, k in the in the black
0: or what's that effect? Uh, I actually missed that bit. Okay, so let's start again. Uh, that Rolls Royce. Do you know how much it's worth now? Not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Three hundred grand. Now? <laughs> well, I looked up Rolls Royce Rolls uh, Royce Corniche nineteen ninety six and it came up as 300 grand. Yeah, but I
1: could believe that now,
0: like that would be what it is, as a vintage. That probably makes sense that that's what it's worth now. I didn't really associate the uh the sort of time and in classic mm. uh, inflation that would have would have gone along with it.
1: Well, yeah. So, but yeah, it's, uh, it was a 70k car at the time, which is uh, you know, not a small amount. Rem- I mean, it's it's a it's a very small admittedly, but definitely you could buy like flats for that price. At the time
0: hmm.
1: in oh, London, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's probably what they bought Nelson Mandela for was probably about that
0: it's the same it's uh it's relative isn't it? The three hundred grand in today's money is the same money that you could buy a flat for now, not in London, but it's funny cause, uh Boise comes in being an absolute prick, and you're uh you like oh, they'll they're finally get one over on him, but actually, to be fair, they're just about to give him a shitload of money so. <laughs> They're not really getting one over him at all. He's yeah. massively profiting from their success. Yeah, they've basically just given him 10k. Like, that's probably what he makes off that car. Like, pure final line profit. So, Rodney presents the uh, receipt of their winnings. And when it comes to the moment that he goes up to Dale and says that he's bought in the, uh, the rolls, this is probably the closest that I've ever been to tears in the entire episode i I genuinely had a uh, a little bit of water in my eye the the understated uh part of this moment was i don't know i don't know why this affected me so much but this for me was the biggest emotional affecting I felt of anything so far and it it, it killed me in a brilliant way I was absolutely in love with that tiny little gesture and exchange. <clears throat> there
3: you go. sure You want the roller? sure I just bought it for you. You bought this roller for me? Why? Little present. Just to say thanks
1: it it's a really beautifully played moment because they could have said a lot more and they could have really outplayed it, but so much goes unsaid, you know it's just this beautiful moment of of recognition uh between Rodney and Dell, and the money is irrelevant i mean. If Rodney can afford it, Del can afford it five times over. So it's it's not it's not really the sacrifice. It is just the gesture.
0: It's a sentiment, isn't it? Yeah,
1: exactly. It's one hundred percent that, and and it's a it's a really really nice moment. And you can see as much joy in Rodney's face from him doing it as Del is for receiving it, which is what is so beautiful about it. It it is it's just really nice, like recognition from both of them of this very very special moment and yeah it, it is very understated
0: i always had like like everyone else in the world i i've always had this like dream of winning the lottery and feeling like uh you know part of me deserved it or whatever but that, i don't know like, I, I always said one thing if i won the lottery first thing i would do is basically go traveling of some description that's a drink, drink. and uh <laughs> and invite any of my closest friends to join me like that's it i would go six months gonna travel all over the place any one of my mates like you know the 20 closest friends i have if they want to come all on me done like that is all i would do straight away i wouldn't buy a house wouldn't buy a car i would just get the fuck out of dodge and go and have the best time of my life and anybody wants to come with me can come and there's this this Freedom, or that that in this scene, I think I, I affected me because I related to it. the The gesture and the 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 friendship and beautiful part that you're enabled to do by having, you know, not a limit limitless amount of money, but to be comfortable to just make us and money isn't you know it's not the be all end of all end all, but in order to give someone something that they deserve and to show a sign of affection like that in the face of anything I don't know that just just kind of hit me and it's something I always wanted like I just I just wish that I could hit the lottery so I can buy my mum a house buy my dad a house pay off their mortgages whatever go off with my mates like I don't think about any investments that I want to make I don't think about you know, I'll put that in that bond or buy this house that way money. I just think, I don't know, 10, 20 people, I would just want to go. I want to make your life better and easier. And that's all I would do. And I don't know that everyone does that when they win the lottery or come into a lot of money. And I, say, I just want to win so I can make loads of people's lives better. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's a beautiful thing that, that Rodney does in that moment. I
1: remember before you became a travelling hobo, and you made a lot of money. You were incredibly generous with that money. So I think, from from most people, that's probably bullshit. But I actually gen—I I think from you, that's completely genuine. I remember you coming up to uh, my uni and and just throwing money around like it didn't matter because you were like, "These boys are all skint, and this—I've got nothing better to do with this money than let everyone have a good time." So uh,
0: ego lads,
1: night out on me, my entire house <laughs> happened many times. It was good
0: fun. It's been, it's been a really crazy few years now. I've lived properly on the breadline for like, I don't know, years. Years and years, like just hand to mouth. But I've enjoyed just the beauty of the job I, as a scuba dive instructor and living the dream. It's a lifestyle job, but no money whatsoever. And as crazy as this last year has been, for the first time in a long time, I've actually had a fairly steady income And actually had some money, and I found myself being like super generous again. And if I questioned myself of like, am I an asshole? You know, like, am I a dick actually? But then, as soon as my circumstances were have been good again, and I just am being uh, not so tight or or being able to share the wealth, as we would say, and I sort of reassured myself. Actually, when uh, when things are going really well, I'm. I I want to share all of that love and greatness and success with, with everyone around me so yeah it's
1: definitely the most Dell quality about you <laughs> yeah
0: and <laughs> what's your most uh, Rodney quality worrying <laughs> <laughs> oh he's a worrier but he's
2: the one who's me
0: So we go down just a a further brilliant and emotional path that the next scene is a nag's head and this just compounds when they enter the pub and it's eerily quiet and this is one of the points where we could just quote all of the stuff now but we're going to have to talk it through Denzel's slowly stands up and this round of applause just hits you in the feels as the the whole pub, this place we've lived in for 10 or 15 years is just giving this standing ovation to Dale and, and Rodney and it, and it feels it almost breaks the fourth wall a little bit, I don't think that it's the intention at all but there's this idea that actually the cast is enjoying a standing ovation for david jason and nicholas Lynhurst as much as they are the characters i don't know if you made that connection but it felt like that to me
1: I, no I, I didn't feel it like that at all but i quite liked that take on it i felt like it was more of a, a an expression of us as the audience were the people in the pub being so pleased for these characters but i, I think that's a fun take as well and totally works it's it's a really good scene. I mean, the music that plays, I think, is another um, original. Only fools and horses, like instrumental. I don't think it's a piece of music, um, but it's really good. Yeah, it's really it's nice. Really, it really works. For basically, and, and three The words. way, it, the way it, <laughs> yeah, it it should be rubbish. It should, really, but it it totally works. And the way that there's the the music is playing softly, and then we get the clap kick in, and then the music kicks in and crescendos it's brilliant it again it should be kind of corny and and it is but in a way that totally totally works and you know they're going around and shaking everyone's hand and everyone's genuinely chuffed to bits for them it's
0: um it's brilliant speaking of uh of corny so this next bit is both brilliant and and tragic so dale obviously orders champagne for the whole bar which is Beautiful, but it's so great to see Kenneth Macdonald delivering his final line, which is just a beautiful salute to the uh, the sort of caper that they've been going on.
3: What can I get you? Champagne all round. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, hold well on! Are we going to lift our wallets at home again? Oh, please, sir. That is not a problem. On the slate, Mike. On the house, still. <laughs> and
0: that's totally beautiful. But this this next bit, I don't know if it's just me, um, but they search Shit. for their wallet, wallet, <laughs> and uh, Rodney says, oh, I'll get the uh, the drinks in because you got the rolls or something like that."
1: Dell says, "I'll get the sandwiches because you got the rolls."
0: Oh, it's such a bad, awful.
1: Joke. <laughs> awful so bad
0: horribly so contrived laughing from everyone in the pub like it was like falling over themselves and it's like oh i don't know if it's because i know it was coming no no it's a shit joke (laughs) i mean the fact that the fact that
1: everyone i think i don't know if it's dell or rodney or both they literally mime the steering wheel thing just to make sure everyone really gets it (laughs) The joke, so, you know, rolls. You know, the car. You bought the car. Remember, remember. <laughs> it, it's the worst bit of the entire episode.
0: It, it's it's horrendous. It it's almost cringy, but I don't oh know. no, it's
1: definitely cr- it's beyond cringy.
0: It's terrible. If you watch it for the first time. It's got to be funny, surely.
1: No, I'm pretty sure that's always <laughs> terrible. But uh,
0: I, I totally let it go because
1: it's nice and the scene is beautiful, and it leads into some new music and another beautiful scene.
0: Yeah. It's so hard now that we've got a couple of things to bring up, which are chinks in the armor of this fantastic episode, but I'm not just going to suck it off and ignore all the things that, that are a shame. But uh, for me, one of the highlights of this episode and one of my absolute favorite things about it, just because of this, Linked to nostalgia and this childhood memory, is this song that now plays over the montage we get. So we get "Our House," which um, originally was by Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and is is just. I don't like I said it, it. It's just like properly epic to me, but in the version that I watched, and also Bobby watched, and I read this trivia beforehand, and I prayed to the only fools and horses gods that I wasn't gonna hear this horrible rehashed rendition by some woman and it was it was this this cover by someone that I could not give a toss about and like this is like this is the pinnacle of the episode for me like this all I've been waiting for for like the last month as I was saying yeah time on our hands blah 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 this was it this is like the moment for me and the fact that something we've brought up quite a few times in this podcast the whole rights of music affected this mountain pinnacle of the episode was such a mood killer because it's just not nearly as good I mean it's an alright rendition but it just didn't have that hit of nostalgia and I was so infuriated that I paused it, uh, rewound it to the start point, went to YouTube, found the original, pressed play on the music and mute on the TV so I could watch the montage with the right music on it. Because without it, it just felt like there was nothing there for me. It was dead to me.
1: There is something about the uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young version, which is just perfect it hits all the notes i love and it works so well and there is absolutely no doubt that the uh the cover version that's on the the version we both watched is nowhere near as good if it had been the one that was there from the start would we have hated it less uh well yes of course would it have made the scene would the scene have been as good no i genuinely think that even if the original like that was the original one that we'd heard it would have made this scene less good because the the, the original rendition of the song is so good. Mm. So, so that is a real shame, and I completely agree that what you did is what everyone should do when watching this scene, is to play the other version.
0: Pretty much the only comment that we made to each other while we watched this together for the first time ever was me going on an absolute tirade about how angry I was. Yeah, you were
1: furious. It was hilarious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't even notice. Which surprised me, and I don't want to call you out, but I was surprised. No, that you I hadn't didn't. Noticed. No, you're right. I, I, I didn't. I, something as soon as
1: because you you'd said it, just you were about twenty seconds ahead of me, so you said it, and it was only just kicking in for me, and I hadn't put it together yet. And then I noticed. I, I'd like to think I would have noticed independently myself seconds later, but something was missing. And the second I put on the original tune, I was just night and day no doubt about it
0: i i pretty much skimmed past the trivia of um of of even listening i even uh, i don't mean to do a disservice but i'm not even going to look up this girl's name but i'd seen it a few times (laughs) (laughs) i'd I'd seen it a few (laughs) times on
1: principle we're gonna give her no airtime
0: yeah she doesn't get looking um (sighs) she uh I, i i'd seen that it was a girl's name and as I said, I've been looking forward to this moment for a month. So as soon as the first syllable and first note came out that wasn't the original, I knew, and was smashing things in my living room instantly. Like, Yeah, it was a moment I've been looking forward to. But flip side to that is, uh, upon playing the original, I was able to completely get out of the funk and get back into this... Uh, amazing moment where I watched this montage with the correct music over the top. We see the houses that they have bought. Dell's got this half horrific, half brilliant portrait up of uh, him, Raquel, and Damien as he's pouring yet more champagne. His decor is quintessentially Dell. He's got these. Gauche as you like, zebra armchairs in this huge living room. <clears throat> Rodney's got this big apartment looking over the Thames and just looking well ha- happy with himself. There is a horribly cliché fist pump from him. It is horribly cliché, but at the same time,
1: uh, for me, when I've had really good news, like maybe uh, you know, I've got a job I really wanted or something amazing has really happened, I, I've recalled myself just kind of walking down the street and I'm just suddenly gone... Fucking yes. <laughs> yes. And so I could imagine myself doing you know, yeah if I hit if I hit the lottery I would I think I'd have moments like that on the weekly. Oh,
0: I don't deny I don't deny that it happens. It was just the execution I found really cliche. Yeah, the execution wasn't great.
1: I love Cassandra's um Cassandra should let. Oh yeah, yeah. She looks up it's like all right. <laughs> this is just this is just my life now. But yeah, it, it's a beautiful flat overlooking um St. Paul's Cathedral. Uh, it, I like the fact that they both chose very different things. I think it really fits both their characters. That tell that Dell would get a big townhouse in the country, and that Rodney and Cassandra would get like a fancy flat on the Thames. I think that really fits, and I like it.
0: Do you know? What? I hadn't thought about it until this moment, but I actually feel like the reverse would fit better. There's even in in, in he ain't heavy, my uncle Dell even fantasizes about. Owning one of these flats overlooking the Thames and sort of saying it's really nice—it seems a lot more Dell to be remained in the centre of London amongst all the hustle and bustle, and Rodney to be getting away from it.
1: I know De- Dell is too, is is older,
0: mm.
1: and Cassa- and Raquel is older, and they've got the kid, so they want a garden and the space and the, and the suburbs where Ra- uh, Cassandra works in a bank in the city still, and Rodney's relatively you know quite a lot younger probably more likely want to be nearest friends i I think it works that's how i'd imagine it i mean look at the houses they currently live in i mean rodney when him and cassandra got their own place they got a modern flat and this is just like a massive upgrade on that
0: as if though really i mean it does fit but i mean if you're rodney and you spent 30 years going from a pikey as you like council flat to a slightly better flat and then you hit 3.1 million the house I am not buying is a flat at that point. I would be bu- oh yeah. I would like
1: yeah, I am going to be detached if it kills <laughs> yeah, me
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> detached some sort of greenery. there's no way I'm getting a flat. allow
1: he just doesn't know what to do with the garden <laughs> We still never established he knows how to cook
0: <laughs> yeah, Rodney's never cooked anything, is he
1: literally nothing so next of all of course there's one more person we have to see have their uh, happy moment and that is Uncle Albert Dale has bought him a yacht and he is sailing along on the uh, Princess Cadilla Kadia.
0: oh you actually went as far to read the name of the boat
1: yeah well it was right there and I was actually meant to google if it was something and forgot it's obviously the name of the yacht the actual uh, yacht that they, they have hired. borrowed yeah <laughs> Yeah, that they have loaned for the day, uh, which I'm surprised they didn't try and, like, cover or not show. But I guess it was probably they were too worried about doing some damage to cover it. And uh, where the um, the wheel, come on, Boatman, tell me what the wheel is called again.
0: Helm? No, is that the name of the wheel?
1: Yeah. It's not.
0: Yeah, yeah take the helm.
1: But is the helm the wheel specifically, or is that just the area around the wheel?
0: No, I'm pretty sure it's called... Cool. Oh, well... Uh... Yeah, it is a ship's wheel. Good. Would have felt like a right dick if I got that wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a shame you didn't have it with more confidence. <laughs> so Alba's at the helm, and uh, we get some, you know... Corny uh, ferry horn noises in the background and uh, a reference to him maybe crashing of some kind.
0: (laughs) Just maybe crashing. Standard. So the last of this montage is having a little look through Dale's house. We see it from the outside as he takes a little walk in the garden with with Raquel. Really nice sort of Tudorian-style country house. And then we watch him playing a bit of snooker. On his own snooker table in his little billiard room, but uh something does seem a little bit of a miss. There's something not not quite sitting right, and we watch as Dell pulls up in front of Nelson Mandela's house in the Rolls.
1: Nelson Mandela's house is like his weekend place, is it?
0: <laughs> did I say that? You did. Really scrutinising my speech this evening. <laughs> That would be the half a bottle of port. Yeah, I was going to say, that would be the large bottle of port that I've nearly finished. <laughs> I had my interim beer, so I'm...
1: I've just finished off my mini bottle.
0: Oh, you have?
1: Mm.
0: Nice, that's good work.
1: Are going to take it from here, or? There's such a fucking
0: big glass of port. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> <Me>? Yeah. <laughs> this is my fourth one. <laughs> so big. How are you alive? I'm fine. I'm 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 living the dream. Oh God, um, it generally like makes me
1: feel hungover just looking at that <laughs> large glass the size of your poor glasses. Come on, do some work. Um, we are back at the flat, and Dell is wandering in to his old stomping ground, feeling very melancholic. Um, we get this uh, lovely quote listening to him hearing his mum's voice in his head Dell boy
3: it's time to get up to 7.30 yeah alright mum it's your fault if you've got hangover you can't have today your off you're taking your 11 plus <laughs>
1: <laughs> and his dad's uh, which is quite funny, but then most of all, the one that kind of really got me in the feels was we hear Grandad for the first time.
3: Your dad always said that one day Del Boyd reached the top. There again he used to say that one day Millwall would win the cup.
1: <laughs> I, I'd kind of forgotten about that. I don't know about you, I'd remembered his mum's quite being there, because it's kind of a bit, as fu- like a funny joke, but I'd kind of forgotten that you got to hear Grandad again.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy to hear uh Joan Mavis Trotter's voice for the first time Um, I I love the way that that this is lit Dale walks in and the the light doesn't work and it's really dark in there and it's sort of silent as he reaches into this he sort of half looks into the uh, the the sort of old lion cigar jar and he has one left and he lights one up and I really love the composition and filming of this the fact that it's dark and we're sort of closing off this this era and this section of of the Trotters' lives. It, the The metaphor of the the direction for the the lighting and the film and and the composition is brilliant, and I, I really liked how that worked with this kind of close of the episode. It was really great to hear Granddad's voice again as well. Again, just. The way that it's been written to 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 close everything off is has been done really tastefully. I think if you're if you're finishing off a series of this magnitude, like all of all of the things that happens is it's kind of predictable. You know, they make it we hear the the different voice of other people and there's like dothing off the cap to to the sort of different uh casts, past and present but it's just it's just done so well and it just all works. Yeah, it is.
1: They set the scene beautifully, and it's really nice. And it's all very soft. And we've we've just had all these kind of fun and and uh, emotional moments. And this is just kind of everything's been looking at the present and how great it is, and looking forward to an optimistic future. And this is the uh, the melancholic looking back to the past. It's really nice that they threw threw in those little um voice clips, I couldn't for the life of me find who uh, who voiced Joan Trotter, but you know, it was it was fun to throw it in there, it was a nice little easy joke then all of a sudden in walks Rodney, he's uh, he's heard Dell had gone missing he's assumed he was there very astute to know exactly where to find his big brother
0: yeah, Dell's halfway through his reminiscence and wandering around and uh, yeah, Dell's He's just feeling down. He he brings up this this fact that they've been grafting for the last sixteen years. All of the while, there's this six million pound watch just sitting in the garage. Which, again, it's just crazy to think, but is it, it was there the whole time. It, it's and it's just so believable. Like even when you're like really scrutinising it, there's there's just something that that feels so plausible about it, which just gives great credence to the episode. And Dale, for the first time, has been to the travel agent, and uh, he's actually booked a holiday for everyone properly (laughs) this time, with no 14-year-old acting needs going on, no uh, bullshit making someone else can't come. He's booked a genuine holiday to Barbados by Concord, of course.
1: Yes, please. I think my one negative of this episode... I know you had a, a mini one earlier I, I struggle a little bit with the amount of romanticising is done here of the struggle I mean The Only Fools and Horses is always about romanticising kind of the struggle and of the having no money and, and you know that kind of uh, council house existence which, which is great in many ways and there's a real camaraderie about it but yeah it's hard having no money like it really is there's nothing fun about being skint and and plenty of studies have been done that show that okay while being a millionaire isn't necessarily the be all and end all there is like a comfortable living wage like an amount you know i think it's about 50k a year in english um that is like that's like the premium amount if you've got that you are you know you're that, that there's a level of happiness and comfort and freedom and lack of stress that comes from having a certain amount of money in the bank or available every month and it is incredibly stressful and hard being skint and we've watched them struggle for years and i find it a little bit of of a of a surprise just how much the uh even at this point, just minutes, I mean, really, like 15 minutes after we've been kind of, since they became millionaires and we've watched them enjoy it, that they're now saying it was actually better when we were poor. I I don't know if i buy
0: that. I think I would really easily counter that as... My take on it is entirely different. I, I think that that plays perfectly into... Dell's personality there are many people kind of myself included who need to be busy he need to be doing things our father is an, another good example of someone who cannot sit still needs something happening like if the if our old man won the lottery there's no way in chance he could sit there and do nothing he would go absolutely mental He he needs to do shit he needs stuff going on he the, the sure, 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 but but just because you want to keep the
1: maybe you want to keep yourself really busy for twelve hours a day, those other four hours a day where you can't also be working, not worrying about paying your next bill, would be a really nice way to spend the other four hours of the day.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't deny that. I just don't think that it's looking at it from that perspective. Like he, he's not saying it's not good to be. Wealthy and to have the stresses of paying bills taken away, he's saying he's missing the thrill of the chase. I mean, even verbatim, he says he's he's missing that the the game, the gambit, having that thing to do every day, the the social element, the 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 wheeling and the dealing, that it's it's all consuming, and and being that that man about the town, that face part of it i think comes with age as well <clears throat> he's obviously a lot older and he's not the guy that he used to be but going from being that that character in in peckham and the, the nag's head and the the person that everyone knows who's out there putting the hours in and doing those deals to the precise opposite of that having no involvement in the local community and, and no involvement in 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 deals like there's a hunger for that and for me that befits Dell's character and personality perfectly. He he needed that. That that's his character. That's what we've just watched for ages. This you know, millions is brilliant to have this happy ending, but every single part of Dell's character that we've seen for the last fifteen years has now been taken away and he's reduced to leisure i think
1: dell would see any of any situation whether he's skin or flush or whatever as an opportunity and i think it's a little bit i don't know if it's if it's pandering or if it's um patronizing to kind of imply that i was so much better not knowing where your next meal come, was coming from than booking a, a Concorde trip to and from Barbados. I think I think it's a little bit pandering. I don't that, know that they're all.
0: saying that it's better, though. I think he's just saying that that there's this excitement and this adrenaline that's been removed. And I don't think at any point they draw a comparison that their previous life was superior. It's just that this ex- this excitement and this living on the edge is taken away. I think it's really easy from a... Psychological point of view to see that, and I think it, I think it's huge for many people who do hit the lottery, having the same problems. I I think it's a fairly well documented problem that, you know, but even if you're retiring and got loads of money or you've you've been building an empire for ages, all these millionaires and billionaires they they struggle to let it go, which is why they're constantly seeking more money and success.
1: Totally. I could see him doing that. I could see Dell chasing the billions. I I just couldn't see him thinking... I don't know, I I can't... Someone who's always looked up and forward, always wanted to be more, always felt like, given the opportunity, he could achieve more, given a bit of investment. I, I can't... It doesn't quite fit as much to be pondering around Nelson Mandela House and thinking that he's lost something. I mean, it's fair enough to be missing the family, to be missing Granddad and his mum and stuff, but to feel like something is kind of... that there's any
0: real negative here is... I I, I just think that's a bit of a stretch. Really? Um, I'm really surprised on, on your take on that, really, because for me it is so... so in keeping with exactly what I would expect from his personality and who he is it's it's a perfect match for the character to be someone that's spent their life since they were 14 providing and chasing something to have that taken away psychologically the that that need and that sort of like hunter hunger that that he must have been just you know, he had no choice when he was younger to be able to do all these things, and it's all he's ever known is to provide. He said that when he was like fourteen, sixteen, he was providing for his mum and the house and everything else, and to to take away all of that from anyone who spent thirty, forty years doing it, you'd feel so lost, like you're presenting something entirely new and different. At no point did I think that it was a. Uh, a weird or stretched ideal from from someone who's acting exactly like that and The exact opposite. I thought it fit perfectly. I'm I'm surprised that you you think differently. Really,
1: yeah, I, I think it's just an 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 element of that. The show has always been a bit, um, you know, gl- glorifying the lower classes a bit in a way that can be a bit patronising, especially when you see the fact that every single actor in the show is. Up and it, 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 you know, speaks very well, <laughs> and is you know not short of a few bob for them to spend the whole time going. Isn't it great fun being poor? Oh look <laughs> how shit it is being rich while they all go drive home in their actual like rollers. Uh, I, I do think there's a, a little bit of um, of like uh, yeah a, a touch of dishonesty there and a touch of pandering, which yeah I understand because that's what the show is, but uh, it's. I would like to see Dell I mean more as he is later in later in the scene where he's more uh, looking at the new opportunities this presents in itself and also when we achieve everything we ever want the idea that you go wouldn't it be great to go back to when I didn't have it all just I don't I just. I don't, I don't buy it
0: I, do, I actually do get where you're coming from after what you've said the, the glorification or um the the romanticising of the the chase and the thrill of the game. I, I, I do get it. Um but I think it pays great service to what what we would want. It may not be perfectly true, maybe it's like over dramatized or sort of um self indulgent to a certain extent, but I think it's only it's only making bigger of something that that you really want as a payoff in in terms of the storyline and the series the the fact that we are living with Dell as he is lamenting the, the previous life has to happen and uh, we don't live in it for ages and i don't think it's pushing that too far i think it it fits well enough and executes it without it being questionable it completes the story It it needs to be there in, in one way or another. You you have to lament the the last 15 years of the progress. I just wish he could
1: have said, isn't it a shame to be leaving this place and the memories attached to it and the people attached to it without it being so much like, wasn't this a great, you know, struggle? Wouldn't it be? I, I think there's a little bit too much implication of the grass is greener, when it definitely isn't. There is no grass over there. <laughs> but we should move on. Um, Albert has apparently been hiding under the bed for the last 10 minutes, <laughs> just listening to this conversation. And, and she was a very late moment to suddenly pop out and, and scare the bejesus out of everyone. He's also come back to collect some
0: of his old things and uh, just have one more last look around the place. And the last thing, uh, just as they're about to walk out, is uh, the phone call. It's brilliant and so poetic. There's a line from Rodney. I feel like we've not done a quote in ages. We've been too too busy
3: getting drunk, but there's a a, a quote from Rodney, and it's just a single line, and I love it. Listen. He's got 250 electronic carpet steamers, right? Now. <laughs> now, listen, they retail at 115 quid. He's gonna let us have them for 25 nicker. Del, we're not in a business anymore. I know. Rudy, we can double our money on this. <laughs> Derek, can you hear me over those trousers?
0: And Del. Dale he wants this, he He wants this sale, this, it's Lenny two fingers, one-eyed Lenny or something, I can't remember what his name is <laughs> but it's Lenny something, Lenny Nelson Lenny Nelson and um, he's got something for Dale and he's keen for it but but Rodney is not getting through to him and finally uh, manages to, to get Dale to realise that there is no need to, to chase this game and this hunt anymore the, the the bit
1: I find most unbelievable
0: about this is the fact that
1: clearly a couple of months have passed because they've moved into new houses, Albert's you know, bought and crashed a yacht, planned <laughs> holidays. Like a few months have passed, yet Lenny Nelson has not heard that uh, of, of any of this. He's been current, he's been apparently around the parish, and has no idea that Delboy is suddenly a millionaire and is still thinking I'll give him a bell. Maybe he fancies these vacuum cleaners or whatever the hell they are.
0: Come on, Lenny, keep up. <laughs> I think we discovered at some point that all of his um, compadres have been behind bars at some point. So <laughs> maybe he's just been. Got, maybe, he's maybe just got, just got out. out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be good, actually. So the end of this scene is they're uh, all feeling a bit peckish and fancy a little Chinese and. Uh, The episode
1: foreshadows. They decide to leave the cars.
0: Yeah, that's
1: fine. I mean, there's been about ten references throughout the show about how you can't leave cars anywhere, and that they're going to leave their brand new Rolls Royce and Jaguars outside. Oh, you did notice that
0: Rodney had a Jaguar, yeah? Of course, I noticed Rodney had a Jaguar. I did wonder if you noticed that. I i did, didn't
1: notice what it was, though. To be fair, I couldn't—I couldn't tell the model.
0: I did. I think it actually says it said it on the back. I thought I read it as uh, I didn't note it down. But at the time, I saw it. But anyway, they—they they do decide to uh, go for a little leisurely stroll, which is all good by me. And the episode foreshadows a pretty crazy but accurate idea from Dell. As he starts to spout off this idea of investing because they have loads of money. But we watch as they slowly walk, not into a proverbial sunset, but an actual sunset.
3: Always been your problem, Rodney. You're always dwelling on the past. Mum said to me on her deathbed. Oi, now she don't you start on about mum on her deathbed. She, she said to me on her deathbed, she said to me, don't worry, if ever you and little Rodney become rich, you must invest in the futures market. Are you liar, because hmm? there wasn't a futures market when mum was alive. Ah, uh, no, but then there you go, see, that shows you how visionary she was. Come on, Rodney, this is our big chance. Aye? He who dares wins. This time next year we could be billionaires.
0: We got some and numbers of And that is it. Um, straight into some random trivia before we go into our thoughts, but I read that trivia for the outro. I know. in My mind here Jamie. <laughs> I'm assuming that you read the same thing, but uh, apparently the, uh, the outro, Dale Rodney and Uncle Albert, were originally intended to become cartoon characters as they walked off into the sunset, as John Sullivan had this opinion that they could no longer be real, and thus it was the end of the show. And apparently, as far as I read, at the last minute, it was changed from that idea to keep it as them being real to enable this possibility of a a sequel, which seems a bit random. I I mean, I've read that as a trivia. I don't know where it's come from. I don't know if there's any reason behind that, but it it just seemed like a, a sort of weird metaphorical choice that seemed to be mad.
1: Yeah, I'd read about the cartoon thing as well. It seemed to me uh, to slightly backtrack. I mean, one of those, one of the things that I'd heard is the whole Dell lamenting the past was almost like uh, a hint towards what any future episodes would be. That kind of suggestion that they couldn't stay rich. Mm. And uh, I'd even heard in one of, um, these david jason interviews that he kind of that he got the impression from john sullivan that if they'd ever got the money that they wouldn't have been able to hold on to it so i almost feel like there was a bit of foreshadowing there from the very start that you know maybe they would come back they were always wanting to leave it open and if they did they probably wouldn't be in the situation we left them um but that is for another day let's
0: um let's talk about this episode what do we think? Quite simply, for me, this episode is about as perfected as you could ever write. <clears throat> it is the feather in Sullivan's cap. It's the the jewel in his crown. It's clever, funny, heartfelt. Something about it is just believable and plausible. And being able to watch our heroes, the the brothers that we've related to for sixteen years reach their goal is like the best payoff you could ever imagine. There were like proper snappy moments of these quick fire jokes, some elaborate, longer played out jokes that had this like rapid tempo, but it still sort of felt concise so much is fit in in this episode but although the first few minutes felt rushed it it didn't feel rushed throughout it just felt perfectly placed like in in this like roller coaster ride and it happened so quickly it ended before it started I think we had very limited conversation during the episode but one of the things we did say at the end was that we'd blinked and we'd missed it like in a heartbeat this legend was was done and the 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 moment had passed i i wanted even longer to live in this but it was it was everything that you could hope for and it's really nice to be able to watch this episode holding it in such high regard and it to have just delivered in in every single part, uh, I'm happy that we could find a couple of things to to uh, to break apart and and scrutinise on. But realistically, it, you could not hope for a better end. And I think that's why I can't help but damn these <laughs> next three episodes. It's just perfect. It, it you could not hope for a better end for a series. That there are some series that do that last episode brilliantly and um, I think Friends is regarded to be quite the same the Big Bang Theory episode was incredible at the end and and there's loads of episodes that just do everything they should do and this was easily one of them uh, I was so happy that it, it was as good as I had hoped it, it was definitely very snappy
1: that is what we said It it seemed to Fly past. There was so much to do in in a relatively short time. You think about the amount of times that they've done. I mean, they've done quite a few longer than 60 minute episodes. Hud and Back, Royal Flush, Dates, Jolly Boys. You know, these are all like 90 minute plus episodes. And yet this one, so much happens. And yet they cram it into these 60 minutes. But I wouldn't say it feels rushed. It's just really snappy. Dense. And. Yeah, it is, and but it's great because, like you say, it hits those emotional notes. There's lots of great gags, I and mean, there's two or three like infamous gags in this, you know, episode. Like lines that any Only Fools and Horses fan worth their salt w- would quote with happiness. You know, there's a couple, it's three from Albert, you know, in the first ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good episode for one-liners. And yet, it's got all the emotion, and it's got all the density, and it's got a couple of um, a couple of montages as well. So th- there's there's a lot to fit in there. But yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Everyone gets their moment. I think m- I maybe would have liked to have heard something more from Raquel and Cassandra in the kind of closing bits, like from when they discover the watch until the end. Cassandra and Raquel never have a, a, a line. So maybe we would have liked to have heard a bit more from them just to kind of give a bit more overall context and stuff. But I mean it's it is brilliant and it's fantastic. The close is beautiful and you know who doesn't leave the episode feeling like six point two million pounds? It's uh, it's it's beautiful
0: very good was it six
1: point four fuck
0: <laughs> yeah i I really love that that analogy about uh feeling like six point two million anyone that's been mad enough to follow on these countless episodes with us is obviously well aware that the only force is regarded as the nation's favorite British sitcom and that is a hell of an accolade. You know, Britain is famous for pioneering the most brilliant comedies from Monty Python and Faulty Towers and and so many other things and one of the only reasons or one of the main reasons that Only Fools is able to hold that crown of the nation's favourite has to include the end has to include that beautiful roundup that full circle that that achievement of our dream it's it's a beautiful fantasy to to see achieved by our favorite characters and it's just done so well it it would be so easy to mess this up and to have this final little bit we, we, you know the only false horses has made some mistakes in its time as far as I'm concerned, and as far as we're concerned and i'm I'm sure you know everyone has their episodes they don't like or the the things that don't suit the characters, but this close is so beautifully perfect for the series, and for me, that's the reason why this has earned its position as the nation's favourite and I I think that this last episode has as much to do with that as as anything else so yeah, I am over the moon to be able to have finished off that era and and bring it all into a close and, and just validate the the opinions and the reasons
1: why it is the best it has been one hell of a journey and it's genuinely stunning that both they and we have come to the end of it
0: <laughs> more so we <laughs>
1: yeah that is almost more surprising but yeah it's um it has been quite a journey and the uh the conclusion is very important to the legacy of that journey and yeah, if this had ended at, let's say, fatal extraction, like was often thought before there was a a, a bit of a a reprise after that, then I don't think this the, the series would live as long or as big in the memory for people. I don't think it would necessarily be the number one. Th- th- this is definitely a huge part of it, and it was, yeah, fantastic, basically perfection, and I really enjoyed... Watching it, and I've really enjoyed talking about it. And uh, it's only a sixty-minute episode, and we've been talking for hours about it.
0: Huh. Yeah, as as I said at the start of this episode, this is hugely a a, a false finale, and uh, hugely want to take the the opportunity to thank everyone that has followed on this journey i know that there is a couple of episodes left but this series has held a real special position for us you know this podcast isn't massive it it's not a 10 top 10 podcast there's not millions of listeners to it but for the few that have followed on on this journey with us who love and appreciate the series and british comedy It it's been an absolute pleasure to share it with you and we are massively thankful for you to listen to our absolute bullshit ramblings about it all. Because we're only we're only here for one reason and that is for glorifying and and loving the British culture from that period in time, from the eighties and nineties, and Only Fools and Horses has been a pillar of that time it's depicted life in london in our in our capital city and and been a a perfect representation of the 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 struggles and and comedy that that could be drawn of it and it's been such a pleasure to go through this just as a personal project we only started this to have an excuse to spend time together and and talk about our own nostalgia the fact that anyone listened to all of these episodes and went through it with us is genuinely an honor so if you followed through let alone listen to this last episode which has been a ridiculous self-aggrandizing (laughs) self-indulgent uh general piss-up between two brothers then uh, we thank you for uh, for everything. It
1: has very much been a pleasure.
0: Very, very rarely any kind
1: of a chore. And uh, I hope you will join us for the the final stretch, the the reprise, and the prequel, and uh, our summation. It has been a thoroughly unique experience that uh, I have enjoyed immensely.
0: Yeah. Uh the the false finale now comes to a close as as we've we've uh, milked it dry. Yeah. <laughs> as we've milked it dry. Uh now we stop all that stuff and, and carry on with the point at hand. We've still got a few episodes left, which I'm not gonna lie, I'm really, really interested to. So I was talking to Rich friend of the podcast. Drink. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> not only an hour or so ago.
1: Must be more than an hour. We've been recording for three.
0: Okay, not more than a few hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, about uh the the last three episodes, because I'm pretty sure that I've only seen each episode once ever. And I'm quite sure that that was at least ten years ago. I don't think I've ever reseen them. I'll tell you now, I'm sure wrongly, um really hoping that there are some great moments and comedy gold and justification of their uh obvious existence but i can't say that that i genuinely hold that opinion but i'm hoping to find some reasons to love it
1: i think the next few are going to be really interesting because i too have barely watched them since i'm aware that there are many people that love them dearly and I think we have always just hated them on principle. And maybe cu- our ex- expectations are so comically low <laughs> that it could result in... In in a way, I'm a little bit excited because there's, I'm about to watch three episodes of Only Fools, which I basically don't know.
2: Mm.
1: Which means that's like three hours of new episodes of this might be like my favorite comedy show so it i mean it could be amazing but
0: i i am like i'm
1: i'm <laughs> concerned
2: yeah
0: i we we're both we are both looking for all of the good that that is possibly available to us my uh impression which is 10 years removed is that i i'm not sure it was ever necessary but i would love to prove myself wrong i i i would love i would love this to be nothing but gold and to work and in the at the end of the day it just have just have been a worthwhile venture and if if i can hit that as a minimum requirement then i'll be happy and it's such a low bar (laughs) but It's it's the lowest of bars um but if that can be achieved, I'll be, I'll be well pleased. So believe us when I say that we are going into it with the most open of minds, hoping for the best. But uh, we'll only be delivering our most honest critique. So that is our
1: next episode. Uh, if they could see us now, I believe the first is called. And it's time to say goodbye to this episode. Time on our hands, it has been... And experience to say the least Jamie what music is going to play us out of this most special of episodes
0: I think it's painfully obvious but uh, definitely going to go full circle with this one the first few series of Only Fools I was more inclined to play music within the episode and for me I always go to uh, Zoom, Zoom. That that song is so so good, and and that song specifically makes me think about only fools and more than anything else, apart from the song in this episode, which is of course our house, sung by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. There is something about this song which, because of its proximity in the series, is the most quintessentially only for song than anything else it fills me with emotions and feelings like nothing else there are drinks and food that I have that reminds me of my childhood and this song is no different than that when even halfway through our podcast I was looking forward to the time that I could listen and hear to this song and maybe it's not nearly as important or as significant to many other people but uh, my heartbreak of hearing the opposite version of it was uh, was huge so it makes even more sense to have it playing us out of this episode i don't i don't know if even if copyright would allow us to play the whole tune but i'm pretty tempted to just basically play the whole tune for everyone because I've cut everything else short so as long as no one tells you know the copyright people I might just play the whole song
1: well if you started early enough you've already got through about half of it (laughs) while you've been talking (laughs) and then if and to be honest there's probably not enough people out there to cause any major stir so to the few thousand of you out there just enjoy it keep it quiet and uh we might have to remove it one day when they find us, but yeah. until then, enjoy it.
0: Enjoy it like we didn't when we watched the episode, but then <laughs> did as we YouTubed it. Ah, oh, right. What an absolute pleasure. Been a massive episode. I am absolutely drunk as a skunk after <laughs> finishing that entire pile of port for myself. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch Bobby Skull the last drips of his port straight out of the bottle which was uh, a nice little highlight that no one else got to watch yeah (laughs) that happened right thanks for uh, joining us on our journey up until now we've got a few more episodes left so we're not quite done yet thanks for all your support and don't forget to drop us some messages for our special shout out episode in a few weeks time
1: pleasure as always Jay thank you very much Thank you very much everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace out
2: Place the flowers in the vase bought Thanks
1: very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook forward/only Fools Brothers. Or on Twitter, we're at OnlyFoolsBros. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at OnlyFoolsBrothers at gmail.com. Also, really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye.